Our New Testament scripture reading for today comes from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers. May God bless our understanding of this sacred text. Each morning for these first few weeks of Lent, I have looked forward with great anticipation to the daily devotional written by one of our members. If you are not yet receiving these emails, do remedy that by contacting the church office. This year's theme is letters, and it is a rich and resonant theme. Some of the devotions are about letters. Letters remembered, letters received, letters never sent. And some of the devotions are letters, heart-rending expressions of grief and gratitude, resentment and rage. Thinking about letters this week inspired me to open the box of old correspondence I keep tucked away in the closet of my study. Perhaps you've already guessed this about me, but I tend to be a fairly sentimental person. I keep everything. And so I sat cross-legged on my office floor for hours the other day, sorting through the inventory. There are thank yous for weddings and memorials and moments of pastoral care. There is a long letter from the visiting mother of a newer church member expressing deep delight that her son made his way to such a wonderful congregation, even though it isn't Catholic. There's a copy of a letter I sent to a judge not long ago, vouching for the character of a dear member of our community who was facing dire choices, dire consequences for a terrible choice. There is a whole stack of welcoming words commemorating my arrival in Western Springs, including a cherished letter from our pastor emeritus, the late Reverend Dr. Robert Kemper. That letter rested at the top of a stack of sweetly scribbled notes from the third grade Sunday school class, 
kids who are now juniors in high school. Congratulations, Reverend Pershy. You will be awesome. There's also a construction paper and crayon card that I created in my third grade Sunday school class. It is addressed to Mrs. Mabel Roberts, and it says, God loves you and so do we. Get well. It was postmarked in Akron, Ohio in 1990. After Mrs. Mabel Roberts passed away some years ago, her daughter found it in a box of correspondence tucked in a closet and returned it to me. There is nothing quite like a letter. Just as we feel a thrill when we see an envelope with our name on it, assuming it's not a bill, I suspect the Christians of Thessalonica were overjoyed to receive a letter from Paul. They knew and loved this apostle, having hosted him for a time during his journeys throughout the Roman Empire. And Paul knew and loved the Thessalonians. It is easy to skip past the opening lines of biblical epistles. Those words of greeting don't seem as significant as the bodies of the letters, where the early Christian leaders spun complex theology about salvation and grace and resurrection. But the warmth and kindness expressed in the opening of 1 Thessalonians is striking. You cannot read these words without realizing anew that both sender and recipients were very real human beings. Paul addressed the Thessalonians as his brothers and sisters, beloved by God. The letter is merely one moment captured in time of a vibrant relationship marked by mutual love and honor. The language of belovedness is familiar. We read our opening psalm responsively today, but the deeper call and response is not between the one voice and the many. The deeper call and response is between the psalmist and God, the prayer, and the one to whom the prayer is addressed. The psalmist knows that she is beloved by God and in turn calls God beloved. God encourages her to seek God's face, and she does, wholeheartedly, and trusting herself to the one who knows her and loves her. She will not journey alone. She will go forth into valleys of illusion and face her fears gripped in the gracious hand of her Lord. Just as the epistle is one moment captured in time of a vibrant relationship marked by mutual love and honor, so too is this psalm. 
And then, in stark, agonizing contrast, the manifesto that made headlines on Friday. Before unleashing horrific violence upon two Muslim communities at worship in New Zealand, the perpetrator had emailed an open letter spewing white supremacist hatred. Sojourners, a Christian organization committed to faithful journalism and advocacy, framed the, the, the tragedy in theological terms. They wrote, the shooter was motivated by white supremacist, nationalist, Islamophobic, and xenophobic ideologies. The same motivations behind the tragedies here in the United States at the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston and at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. These atrocities share the same evil root, the belief that some humans are not made in the image of God. The belief that some human beings are not made in the image of God, was, is, and always shall be blasphemy. It is a lie, a dangerous, despicable lie. And unfortunately, it is a lie that is highly contagious, a lie that is manifest in an alarming number of private and public spaces. When atrocities such as these occur, I have appealed to the power of the pen and written letters, letters to my legislators begging them to pass what I believe to be common sense gun legislation. After Sandy Hook, members of our congregation organized a letter writing campaign that resulted in hundreds of postcards landing on the desks of senators and congressional representatives. I still believe that regulating weapons of war is wise. Yet the relentlessness of these shootings has broken my belief that better legislation is sufficient to keep us safe. We are not merely up against weak gun laws. We are up against strong evil. I will write my letters, but I am beginning to believe it is the act of addressing another human being with warmth and kindness that is the antidote to hatred, the thwarting of violence. You cannot, hate, you cannot kill a person you believe to be created in God's image. Hate a person you know to be beloved by God. I don't know how to convince people that each and every one of us is worthy of love and honor and, yes, life. I don't know how to vaccinate people against hatred. <clears throat> I suspect it will be slow work 
But I suspect our best bet is to build relationships, tell stories, and stubbornly seek the good in one another. On a day the news cycle threatened to break our spirits, there were other stories being told. Stories of people reaching out to their neighbors. Stories of clergy showing up at their local mosques with flowers and blessings. Stories of artists creating beautiful expressions of empathy and solace. And one of my friends told this story. A week ago, her family of four welcomed a family of six Syrian refugees into their home for the next two months. The refugee resettlement was organized by their local Jewish Family Services Center. In light of the violence and hatred that continues, to try to convince us that evil is stronger than good. This happened. A Jewish organization rescued a Muslim family and placed them in the hospitality of a Christian household. As my friend noted, God is still at work loving people through people. God is still at work, loving people through people. I can only imagine the thank you note my friend will eventually receive after having offered such radical hospitality to these strangers in need. A few weeks ago, my friend Oshita Moore stood in this pulpit and dared us to cultivate joy in a world filled with pain. Not to deny suffering or ignore injustice, but to give us the strength and courage to persevere, even to thrive. The potency and practicality of her words stayed with me, and I echo them now. Let us do this. Let us cultivate joy in a world filled with pain. And let us do so in part through the potency and practicality of our words. I dare everyone here to go home this afternoon and write three letters. One letter to a person in power. With all due respect, give them a piece of your mind. One letter to a person in pain. With all due compassion, give them a piece of your heart. And one letter to a person you love more than life itself, a person for whom you thank God every day. With all due tenderness, give them their name written in your hand. May it be so. Amen.